lovely this morning. Aren't you glad to come into his presence? Amen. We're going to just go to the scripture in a moment. How many would say they have a need this morning? There's hands that are lifted in this building. If you're in your place, wherever you have a need this morning and you want to make it known to God, we're just going to have a word of prayer. But he's still the high priest that can be touched by the feeling of our infirmities. Let's just go to him together in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, we've come into this house this morning. We've come at the appointed time. We've been making preparation. We've been looking forward to this little time together. Lord, we we recognize that in the presence of one another, there's nothing one another can do to help each other. But, Lord, we want to invite you to come this morning. Lord, look upon your people. Look at the hands that were lifted. Lord, you know our needs. You know the hunger that's within us. And, Lord, you've taught us through the prophet that wherever there's a deep, there's a deep to respond. Father, our hearts are hungering and they're yearning for more of God this morning. Father, we're here this morning to commit our lives to you. We're here, Father, to ask you to come. Lord, we're living in a time when we see great things that are sweeping people of this nation and the nations of the world and great ground swells, Lord, and people caught up by things. And But Lord, we want to be caught up by you this morning. Oh, come and take the empty places. Lord, may you fill them with yourself. Lord, if we need a scouring, scour us out first, Lord. But oh, come by here, Lord Jesus. Would you remember us as we've gathered this morning? Thank you for the singing and the worship and the effort that's been made. Now take this service, the word that we're about to speak. Take the vessel vessel that's speaking, the ones that are hearing. Lord, we want to invite you now. We invite you to come and take this, anoint us. Father, may you receive the glory and the honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you to the musicians. It's good to be here this morning. I was just oftentimes as you're turning to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 61. Oftentimes on a Sunday morning I'm up early and and different ones and then a lot of different ministers. We just have a little connection. We'll just text or remembering you and this morning brother Ron Spencer came on my heart and he'd been on my heart a couple of days ago and we remember our brother remember the battle we're as in bonds with him and just texted him and he says he was so appreciative he said I'm preaching this morning yeah pray for me he said and so from brother Ron Spencer was talking to brother Jonah Emke he said to send greetings and then this morning I got a text from brother Kelly Hildebrandt and uh 
Today is his 40th anniversary, and uh, he was just happy about that and happy that he's not counting it just in terms of years, but he says, we want to walk into the millennium together. And that's, that's, I think that's the way we feel, isn't it? Amen. Good to see you all this morning. So let's just go to the book of Isaiah, chapter 61. We're going to uh, start the reading here in, in verse 10. And then we're going to carry it right into Isaiah 62 and read the first five verses there as well. Verse 10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorneth herself with her jewels. For as the earth bringeth forth her bud, and as the garden causes the things that are sown in it to spring forth, so the Lord will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all the nations. Last week I gave some pictures on a PowerPoint, and I concluded some of the pictures around the earth with the pictures in Israel, the natural land that God chose and that he keeps his eyes upon. And out of that land, there's a blossoming in the desert. There's, there's things that are happening. God's in control. That's a natural land. We are, we are God's spiritual land. Chapter 62, verse 1, For Zion's sake... Will I not hold my peace? And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest. Until the righteousness thereof go forth as brightness, and the salvation thereof as a lamp that burneth. And the Gentiles shall see thy righteousness, and all kings thy glory. And thou shalt be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord shall name. Thou shalt also be known a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of God. Thou shalt no more be termed forsaken, neither shall thy land any more be termed desolate, but thou shalt be called Hephzibah and thy land Beulah. For the Lord Hesavah, meaning for the Lord delighteth in thee, and thy land shall be married. For as a young man marrieth a virgin, and so shall thy sons marry thee. And as the bridegroom rejoiceth over the bride, so shall thy God rejoice over thee. Amen. God bless his word. You may have your seats. I'm going to go to... Brother Mark, you can go ahead and just put that PowerPoint on, and I'm going to refer to some pictures, but I, I want to maybe to bring you into the channel of where I want to go this morning, um, paint a little bit of a picture, and we've all been to weddings. Yesterday, I saw some pictures of weddings that were happening. It was an outdoor wedding. It was a garden wedding. And it was happening in British Columbia, and it was, it was beautiful. I don't think it was raining like it was here. 
And yesterday we went out a little bit at noon and then we saw some cars down the road from us and some people had an outdoor wedding scheduled there. I don't know under which terms it happened or did. We felt bad that it was raining as it was, but I was just thinking of that and, and, and as I was thinking of that and it, it sort of set me in, it was a little bit of the direction I was going, but let me, let me start with this. When, when we come to a wedding, and, and you know, we've all been to a wedding, maybe a wedding that's here, you got an invitation, and you came, and you're happy for the invitation, and you came, and if, if you're, you know, it, it seems that you, you come to a wedding, it's a joyous time, and you get dressed up, it's a special time, you're seated, and as you're seated, you begin to look at all the decorations that are around you. You may look at the flowers that are in the aisle, you may look at the, the way people are dressed, you may look at the music that's being played, the theme that's been set forth. You begin to look at all of these things, and, and as, 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 as you're seated, and then the pianist comes and begins to play some music, and, and, and you enter into the whole ambience of this special time. And as, as you come to this, the wedding, you know, there, there's... there's you know, you've seen it happen before. There's different forms. There's different ways that this happens. But as they begin to play, and, and then as the wedding party begins to come in, and you see maybe the, the parents or the grandparents are seated, and maybe somebody comes. The ushers are decked out. They're all matching, and everybody comes, and the stage is set for a wedding. And, and, and then, you, you know, we see how, you know, the groomsmen come out, and there's the groom waiting for the big moment. This is when he's going to take his bride. And, and, and he's waited, and, and now everybody's watching everything that's happened. And, and as he's waiting, and then there's a procession that starts. And, you know, it may start with candle holders. It may start with flower girls. It may start with, with, the, with the, the, the maid of honor, the different ones that come, that, that are all coming. And it's all part of it. And, and everybody's seated and watching this unfold. And then comes a moment when the minister will come out and say, all rise. And it's the moment that the bride begins to come forward. Now everything, typically, if it's a typical wedding, and, and as this unfolds and this happens, much more than what we see at that moment, what we don't see is all the planning that went into this. You know, and generally, it's not the man that's planning out all the colors and things. It's, it's the bride. It's not the groom. It's the bride that's planning out how everything is and how it'll be. And, and, and it's maybe taken months and maybe more than months. And there's a, a time when everybody's just coming together and nobody really knows how much has been gone into every detail. And, and then it all begins to unfold. But I would say even more than that, what everybody's witnessing on the outside, the coming together that is going to be now to people, as they're witnessing the outside, what they don't see is the hidden parts. The years that this young woman, especially if it's a Christian woman, has kept herself and has held herself and been pure and reserved and, and, and waited for this moment and looked for this moment. Now, uh, you need to enter into this a little bit. I know the brothers aren't going to shout up and jump. Often, brothers look at it as a wedding on a Saturday afternoon. I could be out cutting the grass or doing something like that. You know, but, but just enter into it, okay? Is that all right? 
And I know the sisters, you know, they, they begin, I'm, I'm going to show you a few pictures here right away. We'll, we'll get into it a little bit more. But what you don't know is all that has been held and reserved for that moment. And all that this man has done looking forward to someone that he's going to enter into a union. So there's a hidden part to all of this that's not known to everybody. And even after the wedding is consummated and you go to reception, and after that there is a hidden part that is not even known to everybody. It's just reserved for the bride and the bridegroom. Now, let me go to the PowerPoint here. A Christian wedding is a beautiful thing. And when you look at and you think about it, it, it we see it unfold on earth, but I want you to Focus this into a little heavenly. I, I need you to participate with me a little bit this morning. If the rain has dampened you, just, just let, let, let the fact that you're inside and you're in this just bring something out of you. Is that right? Okay, thank you. So a, a Christian wedding is a beautiful thing. And I took, I took, because I was thinking of garden weddings, I just took a few scenes of how things are set up in a garden. And that's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on this theme in a minute, but... You know, it's, it's all set forth, and it's beautiful. It's summer. It's, things are blossoming. You, you couldn't imagine this happening in the winter here, could you? But, but you see these things all coming forth. The stage is set, and as I said before, everything is just the way it should be. And, you know, maybe they even put flowers and, and, and put them in, in the aisle and do all the things that they do, and it's, it's beautiful. But it's nothing until the guests show up. And the guests are all seated there, and they're all waiting, and they're all participators. They're all going to see something happen. And, and maybe at this time, the groom stands somewhere behind waiting, and this is a moment that he's looked for, and he's just sitting there waiting, and, 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 and it's just it's an expectation. And then there's the moment when the bride comes, and she enters onto the scene, and, and everybody, you know, this is a time when everybody looks back in church, right? They all, wow, you know, and, and the cameras come out and everybody wants to sit close to the aisle because they want to take a picture. And, and, you know, did you see this and did you see that? And, you know, it's beautiful. Everybody's looking at her. She's coming up and everybody's looking and, and they're analyzing the details and, that, and, and, and how it, the dress is behind. But nobody can look at it like the groom. Nobody can understand that behind all of that, there's something that this is representing. So he'll be standing there and waiting in expectation and looking forward to this moment. And as they begin to walk up and now stand together and before the minister and begin to consummate their vows and, and, and speak and say these things, it's just a beautiful picture that unfolds. And they finally exchange rings and vows and and, and, and the wedding is consummated and they leave and they live happily ever after. That's, at least that's, that's the way it should be. It should be that way. You know, and, and maybe then there's guests and they have a, start to have a gathering and they all rejoice. And, and, and soon there's a reception and there's tables set and everything's just perfect. And, you know, I, they, they say we can't have weddings the same way. And thankfully we didn't have a lot of weddings in our church this year. But there's other places they do and they've had to kind of work around this. But, you know, this, everything just set up. It's all just decor and, and such, and it's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. Now, all of that represents something greater. And I'm just going to put these couple pictures, and then I want to go to the real essence of the service this morning. But there's another wedding supper that's being prepared. And I, I remember as a young child, I would see the pictures come 
all things are ready. And I thought of that and I thought, wow, you know, could you imagine how long that table will be and thousands of miles and all the guests that will be there? And I thought about the invitation that's been put forth. And that there's a bride also making herself ready at this moment. And, and I, I want you to identify with this part of it this morning, but there's a bride that's beginning to take steps. The wedding is down here. The reception, the wedding supper is up there. The marriage is actually taking place now. The marriage is coming together right now. And so the wedding, you know, if you can take it and you can picture it, we're not just a church, we're the bride. And not just because you come to this church that you automatically, you need to see yourself as entering into this. And so a bride that's beginning to prepare herself, and I love this picture, you can't maybe see it, but it shows the form of a bride, but in there there's thousands and maybe millions of members that are part of that whole gathering, that consummation that's coming together. And here, you know, maybe just thinking about the final steps that will actually happen because when Jesus, Jesus actually is arising to meet his bride, he's ready to come to her and she's preparing to meet with him. And, and as it would come forth and, you know, we just think about how these scenes and how she's been given these garments and they're pure and they're linen and they're white and they all speak of something but I don't know if you can see what's happening. And we, we, we can't fail, you know, in, in the midst of our fights in Laodicea and everything that's happening in the world around us, we need to see this picture. We need to see the call from the bridegroom to the bride. We need to see that we're not just a church governed by do this and do that, but we were called to something higher, greater. And, and it's a, it, it ought to be a... You know, I don't know any bride that, that's preparing for her wedding that's sitting idle. I don't know any bride that's preparing for her wedding that's, that, that, you know, in the last days and weeks is, is out, you know, well, you know what, let's go do something different. Let's go bowling. Let's go, let's go uh, out and do this. No, I think they're all interested in one thing. And I believe that's what we're interested in. And I, I don't know if you can imagine, but the last moments, the expectation and the intimacy when we finally are gathered together. Now, we, we understand from the, from the Bible and the message that there's a great gathering and that the bride, because she's a many-membered body, gathers together. We have a time to be together and then we all turn our attention on him. So it, it, it can be a tremendous thing. Now, I want to just get you to turn with me in the Bible. I'm going to refer to the garden in a couple places here, but I want to go to the Song of Solomon. And I'm going to refer to this because part of my text is actually out of this. And it's Song of Solomon, chapter 4, verse 12. Brother Mark, you don't have to do it. I've got it here. <laughs> I realize I gave it to you twice. <laughs> so let's go to Song of Solomon, chapter 4, verse 12. I, I, I need to just ask you to go with it. Sometimes, you know, Song of Solomon is probably one of the most difficult books in the Bible. But I say it's there for a reason. It's there for a purpose. So we're going to start with, with chapter 4, verse 12. And it says, A garden enclosed is my sister, my spouse. Now, in, in the Old Testament terms, that was often a reference. It's not a sister in the natural sense, but somebody very dear, very close, my spouse. A garden enclosed is my sister, my spouse. A spring shut up 
a fountain sealed. Thy plants are an orchard of pomegranates with pleasant fruits. Campfire. Now, that's not the kind you sit around and, and do it, but it, it's actually, uh, it's actually a, a, a spice of, of essence or sort. And with spikenard and spikenard and saffron and calamus and cinnamon, with all the trees of frankincense, the myrrh and the aloes and all the chief spices. Now, the reason for a garden is that you can partake of it. And the partaking is visually seeing the garden grow. It's a wonderful thing. The other thing is going into the garden and the smell of the garden. And finally, the last thing is the actual eating and the essence of it. But Solomon is referring to this this, this spouse, this bride, the, bride is, the, the bridegroom is referring to the bride as a garden. And he's saying she's a garden enclosed, a spring shut up, a fountain that's sealed. But she's got all these pleasant fruits. And down to verse 15 he says, A fountain of gardens, a well of living waters, and streams from Lebanon. Now, it, it's, it's all in metaphoric terms, but... He, he says now in verse 16, Awake, O north wind, and come thou south, and blow upon my garden, that the spices thereof may flow out. So the bridegroom's coming to the bride. And, and I, I, I tried to picture it this way. There's a lot of things a, a bridegroom would love to do, but he's called the bridegroom. He's identified already with the bride by his title. And the bridegroom, there's something in him that awakens. And I don't know if you've ever seen the movie, and it's a, it's a Disney movie on Bambi. But it's when, when I don't know, it's springtime and everybody's coming out and, and everybody's senses awaken. And, and I don't know which, which it was, the rabbit or whatever it was, in the, in the, it's a cartoon, and, and he got Twitter-pated. In other words, he began to fall in love. So, so <laughs> nobody saw it? Okay, don't, don't, don't worry about it. It's okay, just trust me. <laughs> but you know what? It's like a young man, you know? He grew up and he was roughhousing and he was there with his skateboard. He was riding cars and all of a sudden something awakens in a young man. And all of a sudden he begins to notice girls. It's always there. My goodness, I need the young people here again. Is there any young people here that can say amen with me on this, sir? I, I, you, some of you that are old and married forgot about this. Maybe this is for you. I don't know. But <laughs> he begins to notice so his senses are awakened. And this is what Solomon is talking about. He's saying that, that, that there's something about this time and this intimacy that awakens things inside of him. And I'll say this. Brother Adam would talk about it, how the bride was in his mind from before the foundation of the world. She was a part of him. She was always in the forefront of his thinking in everything he did. If we could recognize that, it would change our thinking. You'll help me if you can say amen or pull or wherever you are, just do something. But he says... Awake, O north wind, and come, thou south. Blow upon my garden, that the spices thereof may flow out. Let my beloved come into his garden and eat his pleasant fruit. So everything we read in chapter 4 is the bride speaking. And, and she's saying, let my beloved come into his garden and eat 
His pleasant fruits. So if we have fruit that we're bearing, it's not fruit for ourselves. Now we, we took a couple of services on the fragrance of our approach. And if you remember the priest that would go, you know, when, 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 when Moses had structured the order going into the Holy of Holies, it started with an anointing oil. And the anointing oil was mixed in a certain proportion. And it was mixed a certain way. And so before the priest ever got in there, they anointed the furniture. They anointed everything. It was all anointed. It was all the way that God wanted and that anointing was not to be used for anything else but for God's purpose. And, it was, and he said anybody that would do different would be cut off. And then the last thing was the priest would come in. And he'd come into the holy of holy, into the holiest place. And here was the last thing was the altar of incense before he stepped into it. And here he had these spices that had to be mixed. And then as these spices were mixed and tempered together, and then they were diffused into the air by smoke, it was a sweet-smelling savor. And it was not to be used for anyone else. Friends, what God is doing with us, what he's formed in us, we are his garden. We are the sweet-smelling savor that he delights in. The, the, the work that he's done. You know, you know, when you come to the garden. Listen, I'll take some time with this. But, you know, a garden, when it's just in its form right now, I know some of you have got gardens and you're doing it. But when you start to see it come forth. And a garden doesn't have to be just vegetables and different things, but... There's flowers and there's fruit and fragrances. And, and, you know, God put all these things there naturally, but Solomon now he's picking this up and saying, it's the same way in God's spiritual garden. His delight is in the land called Hezbollah. My delight is in you. That's a natural land. But there's a spiritual land that God delights in. Now look, he says... Let my beloved come into his garden. Chapter 5, verse 1. Now, the bridegroom speaks back. I am come into my garden. My sister, my spouse. I have gathered my myrrh with my spice. I have eaten my honeycomb with my honey. I have drunk my wine with my milk. Eat, O oh friends, drink, yea, drink abundantly, O oh beloved. Now, I'll just use that. I'll come back to it in a little bit here. But I want to speak this morning on... A garden enclosed and reserved. Because this, we are his garden. So let's just take that. I looked at Charles Spurgeon. He's a well-known minister. And he speaks on the Song of Solomon. He said, it's a book of deep mystery not to be understood except by the initiated. This book stands like the tree of life in the midst of the garden. And no one will ever be able to pluck its fruit and eat of it until he has been brought by Christ past the sword of the cherubim and led to rejoice in the love that has delivered him from death. So it's not a book that you may be able to enter into right away, except you're living behind the veil, except that you've entered into a place with God. So the garden, if we think of this in pictorial terms for a moment, it was a garden that was enclosed. 
When you have a garden and you plant a garden, you know, depending where you are, if you live outside on an acreage, you may have to put a fence around it. Why? Because you don't want every critter that comes by to partake of your garden. You want to be able to enjoy it for yourself. So a garden enclosed is something that God has set apart for himself. So you don't, you don't just, you know, you, you go and you take, uh, 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 you have a piece of land, but you, then you determine Here's a certain part of this land that I'm going to choose for a garden. And that garden is going to be there that I may have a special relationship with what's going to come out of this garden. And I'm going to enclose it. And I'm, you know, they, they say there's different kind of plants and things you plant around the perimeter of your garden that, that, that keep certain animals away and do things. You can plant a, a physical thing. But the point is it's a garden enclosed. It's for God. A garden enclosed is my sister, my spouse, a spring shut up, a fountain sealed. So, so it's enclosed. It's not just easy for everybody to come into this place. It's a special place that the bridegroom has set apart. So it can be a beautiful place. We can picture it. And if, if the natural represents the spiritual, I, I'd say, what is the spiritual? You know, when you come into a garden, and I'm going to say this, in a garden, a time of singing or praise or a time of, 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 of just prayer, and you come out from there, I'll tell you what, it's a beautiful thing. You know what? You, you can't even explain what happened there. But you know what? It was special. It was intimate. It was, it was something wonderful. So a garden can compo- be composed of many different things and many different fruits and fragrances and different things. And Solomon is saying, I, I am come into my garden. He calls it the, the, the bridegroom calls it my garden, my sister, my spouse. So we are his garden. We are the work of his hands. And so the, the, the relationship of going into that garden was a special thing that, that God had determined for, for that place. And, he, and it would even be, as we took last week a little bit, awake, O north wind, come, O south wind, blow upon my garden, let its spices flow. It wasn't just meant to lay dormant. It was meant to be coming up and to be moving and to doing something. Let my beloved come into his garden and eat his choicest fruits. We'll just turn it off there, Brother Mark, for now, and we'll come back to it at that place if you don't mind. But I'm going to actually ask you to turn, if you will, for a moment. We're going to go to the book of Genesis. So. I'm going to go to Genesis chapter 2. You know, we, we want to use maybe a little bit of a type here, but, but I, I need you to think a little bit more than just me spelling it out plain in black and white. You need to enter into the picture hereof for a moment. So Genesis chapter 1 is when God set forth into creation everything on six days. But Genesis 2 really becomes a manifestation and, in, and he says in Genesis 2, verse 1, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, end, God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And God blessed the, the seventh day and sanctified it, because that he had rested from all his work which God created and made. So now this was a day of rest for God. It was a day for God to look back and enjoy this. And I say this, have a time or have a season that he could actually find delight and pleasure in. 
So everything had been set into motion. So verse 4, it says, These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens and every plant of the field before it was in the earth and every herb of the field before it grew. For the Lord had not caused rain upon the earth and there was not a man to till the ground. So there was really not a manifestation because man had not come into his place yet. And, and, you know, Brother Ann would say in the message, deep calleth to the deep, he said, what came first? He said, the, the ocean or the fin that was on the fish that the ocean was meant for. So the ocean came because there was going to be a fish with a fin in it one day. The garden would come because God would delight to have fellowship in the garden. So the garden was the result of a man. So, or and a woman, if we want to call it that as well. But it said God had not uh, caused it to rain because there was not a man to take care of the garden yet. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm needing you to move with me and just to say amen if you wouldn't mind. It'll help me this morning. And, and so, you know, there's something that we've got to do. Now, let's just move along into verse 7. And the Lord God, I uh, missed 6, sorry. There went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So now man was in position where he would be God over the earth. He was given dominion in a spiritual way, but now naturally God was going to use this channel. Man it was a part of God. He was going to do it this way. Verse 8. So after, and it always says and, and, and the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. So now there was all the earth and there was all the land, but now God chose a special place and it was going to be eastward in Eden and this was going to define the garden. It was not just all of Eden was a garden, but God actually had a place in Eden that was the garden. It wasn't everywhere, but it was a special place, a place that God had designated. So he says, and God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man that he'd formed. So it was God that placed man in this garden. I'll say it, you cannot make yourself bride, but it takes God to bring you into this garden. It takes God to give you the characteristics of this garden that God can delight in. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And a river went out of Eden to water the garden. So from Eden, there was a source that went to this garden to water it. And from thence it parted and became four heads. These are the four rivers. We won't get into that. Now all the way down to verse 15. And the Lord God took the man. So now God, again, placing. He took the man. And he put him in the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. So God put him in there, and he says, now, you're going to be the caretaker of this garden. 
It's my garden. It's my delight. It's what I want. But you're going to be the, ter- you're going to be the caretaker. Now, Brother Bannon would, would go on and, and say it this way. I'm just going to pick up a couple of places. This is in, in a message, The Trial. He'd say, a, a seed can only grow when it falls into fertile enough ground to quicken the seed. And if the seed falls into a ground and it's fertile with faith, it's got to quicken. Sometimes we, we try to do everything to manufacture patience. We try to manufacture the things that we, we know we need to be a part of this last end time. But it's not so much that we need to manufacture. It will grow. It will quicken. You plant the word, it will bring forth. The danger is to stop the things that come in and hinder growth. So the garden that God's desiring, the ground that he's desiring to plant, it's a select piece of ground. He, he picked, I don't know why he picked me out of Laodicea, because I was no better than anybody else, but he picked me. And at a certain time, at a certain season, I couldn't help but respond. The word came to me, and something quickened and said, Abba, Father. Not because I did something, but because God had planted a seed. And now it was time for it to come forth. So God planted that garden. And when he planted it, he, he, he said, I want somebody to dress it and to keep it. Now, as I said earlier, there's a fence that goes around the garden because you try to keep certain things. But when you plant a garden, you plant it in the right place. You know, we have a, we have a garden at home, and it's kind of planted right in between the house and some trees. And one of our neighbors said to us, that's not a good place for a garden. He says, you're going to be blocked in by this. But it actually turned out to be a perfect place because the winds don't come into there, and the sun just beats down on it. It's a raised garden. It comes forth. You know, I spend hours and hours weeding it all the time, and now at the home, my wife is shaking her head. She says, you haven't touched it once. I said, I haven't. You're right. <laughs> she takes care of it, and, and she enlists other people to help her take care of it, but so with that garden, you also protect that space. You want a place where sunlight will come in. You, you want to allow it to grow. So over time, as this garden has grown and expanded, we had to cut back the trees that had branches that would block the sunlight. We had to, you know, we had to water. We had to add things to it. We had to cultivate it. We had to, to do certain things. And no matter what you do with this garden, every year, weeds come up. And I never planted them. We never planted them. I mean, how many go out and plant dandelion seeds? Have anybody seen, has anybody seen the city going out and planting dandelion seeds? Because they're everywhere. You go along the freeways and the highways, they're, they're, they just creep up everywhere. Do you see the city out there with a fertilizing program? Let's, let's put miracle grow on these yellow flowers because they'll come forth even better everywhere. How many have gone out and watered their weeds? Yeah, we don't. <laughs> but what have we got to do? we got to work at the garden that we've got. My, oh my, there's some people there that know all about this better than I do. I'm just, I'm just picking up some information that I've observed here. But God has a garden, and the garden that he's been given, it's, it's, it'll come forth. But other things will come forth too. Your first nature will come forth. It, it'll block growth sometimes. Your reaction will hinder growth sometimes. You'll, ha- you'll have to go through great purgings and, 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 and trials and, and different things. You know, like 
if, if you know that these things are there, why would, you want to, why would you want to just let them grow and hinder you? I say, Lord, help me to do everything. That's why I come to church. That's why I come and I say, Lord, I, I, I want to be, I want whatever it takes to let this garden flourish. Sometimes a minister comes out and, you know, we all want the minister to come out with a pillow so that we can relax and say, oh, yeah, listen, you know, and just to rub our hair and say, you're good, you're going to make it, you're going to do everything. But when you see the minister coming out with a rake and a hoe, everybody goes, oh, no, it's one of those services again. But it's good for us. I want to come to that. I appreciate the prophet and listening to the message. And it's hard. And it cuts us. And, and it does it. But what's it doing? It's preparing the garden. He's the husbandman. Listen, it's not I'm the husbandman, but the Spirit of God is the husbandman. He is his garden. And we're workers in the garden. And we all need to work together to keep the bugs and the insects and the weeds and all the different things out. So if I look like I've got a hoe this morning, just say, thank God. <laughs> God knows how to do it. <laughs> it's not the minister that's in control all the time. So God plants a garden. He says, the thing is, he says in a message court trial, keep all the weeds away that it will draw strength from the ground around it. Keep the weeds out. It'll automatically grow because it's committed. It's a germatized seed. If the seed isn't germatized, there's nothing. It won't grow. But if it has the germ of life, there's nothing that can stop it from growing. I love it. I love it. As we read in Isaiah 62, and he, and, and he, he actually in verse 61, he he talks about how a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and a bride adorns herself with jewels. For as the earth bringeth forth her bud and as the garden causes the things that are sown in it to spring forth. So it's a dedicated piece of ground. But yet God needs us to participate and to be a part of this. You know, you, you, can, you can have all the potential. Brother Branham's own brother, Howard, was called to be a minister. And Brother Branham says, but Howard got in the company of wrong friends, and they held him back. And he, when he was dying, and he, and he recognized the failures in his life, and he said, oh God, he said, and, and, and he talked to Brother Branham, do you think you'll understand, Bill? He says, I think you'll understand it in the by and by. But he never reached his potential. I believe God wants us to overflow. God wants us to, he wants us to, to be a well, bountiful garden that, that's blossoming in every way. Not like the cactus we talked about last week, but uh, that's blossoming. Listen, I'm just going to go back to this for a moment. Brother Mark, I don't have it, but we took this at Young People's the other day, and it just so blessed me when I read it. I just feel like I, I just kept coming back to it here just now. Romans chapter 5, if you will, real quick. Romans chapter 5, the garden will grow automatically. It will grow. Now, let's, let's just take it this way. This is in Romans chapter 5, verse 17. Let's, let's read from there. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one. 
Who are we talking about? Adam. And he says, much more, they that receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Now he says, therefore, as by the offense of one, Adam, judgment came upon on all men to condemnation. You're born in this earth, you come speaking lies, doing wrong, your nature is sinful. It's automatic as a virtue of your birth. But it says, even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. So Christ came to offset the first birth. By one man, we also have access to a new birth. We have access to new growth, to new fruits that, that are unto God. For if by one man's disobedience many were made sinners. Why? The nature was wrong. So by the obedience of one, Christ, shall many be made righteous. We always focus on the other one. Oh, it, it's Adam's fault. It's my father's fault. He was Irish. He was German. He was, he was Congolese. He was Indian. Whatever he was. It, it's, you can't blame it on somebody else. That's part of the first birth. God does not condemn you for your first birth. But he condemns you when you choose to remain in that. But when you move outside of the realm. And I'll say there's as much hope for that if you can look on the other side. Because there was a time when, when to go into that holies of holies was forbidden and there was an anointing that stopped you. But when Christ came, when the sacrifice came, the veil was rent and now there was an anointing to push us into this holy place, this sacred place. And so Paul would say, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. So the law, the more you read the Bible, the more you realize how wrong you were. <laughs> I'll tell you what. You, you pick it up, and I, when I was first saved, and I, I, I recognized God did something for me. But when I recognized all the times that I'd hurt him and grieved him, and still do, I'll tell you what, there's something in me that says, Lord, don't just forgive me. Change me. Make me, uh, uh, make me what you want me to be. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. The more we read in the Bible, the more we say, I can't do anything to help myself. But here's the next one. Uh, this, this ought to just make you jump up and down or do something. But where sin abounded... And I'll tell you, you talk about a sinful age. But where sin abounded, grace did that much more abound. Hallelujah. Praise God. In the middle of Laodicea, the most sinful word, grace came down to my doorstep, to your doorstep. And grace is now abounding. Grace is the power to live above sin. That's what God has poured out. This morning it's available. You don't have to live under the old nature. You can live under the fountain that will allow you to prosper and to flourish. It's available. Oh, that, that so rejoiced me. I think it was last week when I read... In 
Song of Solomon, chapter 4, verse 7. You don't have to turn to it, Brother Mark, but it said, this is the bridegroom speaking to her. He says, thou art all fair, my love. There is no spot in thee. That blood can wash away everything. There is no spot to those who have accepted his grace. Look at how he looks at you. There is no spot unto you. Oh my, I just, I feel like I need to read this. The true church of Jesus Christ, the bride, is likened to pure gold. Her righteousness is his righteousness. Her attributes are his own glorious attributes. Her identity is in him. When God comes into the garden, it's the garden of his choosing. He picked the piece of land. It's him that has desired certain attributes to come forward. And when he comes in to rejoice in his garden, he's coming to rejoice in the work of his hands. The patience he's formed in us. The fragrance of our lives. It's he's rejoicing in the work that he's done. He's enjoying his garden, his spouse. How many churches across this city Across the land today, can God come down and say, let the dove of God descend into our midst. Let him be pleased in our worship. Let him be pleased with my heart. Let him be pleased to dwell in our midst. Come to your garden, O Lord. It's your garden. If there's any good thing, it's not of me. It's what you have done in me, Lord. Despite myself. Listen to how he says this. This is the Ephesian church age in the church age book. Her identity is found in him. What he is, she is to reflect. He says, what he has, she is to manifest. There is no fault in her. Oh, where sin did abound, grace did that much more abound. Grace, grace, grace. The headstone coming down with shoutings of grace, grace. It's not me. Look at what I did. I stood for this message. I, I didn't do a thing. He did it all in me. It wasn't what I could do. It's his grace in me. Paul said, I, I, I would do this and I would have persecuted the church, but his grace in me. It's him in me. He said, she is all glorious within and without. From beginning to ending, she is the work of her Lord, and all his works are perfect. In fact, in her is summed up and manifested the eternal wisdom and purpose of God. How can one fathom it? How can one understand it? Though we can't do it, we must by faith accept it, for God has spoken it. I don't know, God's called me to be a part of this. I'm not saying I'm there yet. I think there's still that, that's the reason I'm, I'm gathered here this morning. That's the reason the rake is out. That's the reason the hoe is out. There's a little bit of rain to water down too because God knows how, what it takes to mix the right thing together. He has predestinated us, what? Unto the adoption. 
of Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise and the glory of his grace wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Our acceptance isn't outside the gate. Remember, the last church age, Jesus was knocking, trying to get back in. And he was knocking on the door. And he would knock. And as the custom would be in the Old Testament, he would knock and say, he'd say his name. It's me. It's Jesus. I'm trying to get in. And then you would open up. Because we didn't, they didn't have those little eyelatches that they could look through and the little telescopes. And, you know, if somebody's standing too close, their nose gets really big. And, you know, if they're, they're a little farther away. They didn't have that back then. We have that today. So just a tip for you if you stand too close, okay? So anyway, it's Jesus. He's trying to get into the church. Now, I, 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 I got to keep going ahead a little bit with this, but the bride was a part of him. I trust this morning, friends. I, it, was a, it was about a three, four weeks ago when I just started going through some messages, and I just saw where Brother Branham, where God took the message and he began to move it with the vision, the preview of the bride. And he saw it, and he first preached it in a message, the masterpiece. And when he preached it in that message, he saw, here came the bride into view. Oh, she looked, she was marching with the step of the gospel. And then the church came into view. And he just got so disheartened when he saw them dancing to rock and roll. And he saw how they were dressed. And he said, and a witch was leading them. And he said, oh, is that the best we can do? And he was so disheartened. And then... Listen, Brother Brown didn't manufacture that vision. God gave it to him. And then he saw the bride come into view again. And he started to skip and rejoice. And he says, yes, did you notice? She came into view again. And at the very tail end of it, a couple of them were getting out of line. And he screamed, stay in line, stay in line. That's still the cry of the Holy Spirit. Any true minister will do that. <laughs> oh, praise God. So God planted a garden in Eden. And when he planted the garden, it means to fix it, to establish it. And God made every good, every good tree and every good, uh, every tree and everything that was good for food to grow in the midst of the garden. And then the Lord took the man and he put him in the garden to dress it and to keep it. Now, Solomon says, a garden enclosed is my sister, my spouse, a spring shut up. So the woman is actually a type, the natural woman is a type of the spiritual bride. Brother Branham would, would make a few statements, and he would use it in the message Invisible Union, and he talked about how a woman was a type and, and now think about what he's talking about. He's talking about a union. One of the greatest messages that we've had. You know, he, he started really from 64. He was really the message changed to the bride. And I'll say this. You remember, he says, you have to turn a corner. You, you can't go with the old school of thinking. But you have to recognize, I, I can do anything I want to do. But I don't want to because the spirit that's in me is calling me higher. 
Listen, I'll, let me just read a few things. I'll make them, I, I need to make them both spiritual and natural. The woman is a type. She has the same precious virtues by the Spirit given her to preserve the Spirit and the Word. So within you, you know, God places certain things within us. We don't have to think sometimes to let them come out. When, when, you, when you're driving, you know, now they have cars and they have sensors that if you come up too close, it, it'll slow down for you. But that's actually in your body already. If you're driving and you happen to look down and you look up and there's a car in front of you, it's automatic. You hit the brakes. And, and, and it's self-preservation. God put that in you. It's a reaction. It's, it's something God put in you. There's, there's, there's a natural thing within a woman as a child that's within her to, to keep herself from, from the dangers and the things of the world and to protect the virtue that God gave her. There's something in the bride that protects her from engaging in worldly things. It's a little voice. It's a little warning signal. And he says, so it's to preserve the spirit and the word, to never commit adultery with anything of the world or anything, and stay virgin to the word as a woman is to stay virtuous to her husband. It's a sacred trust to honor her Lord's word above every man-made creed, wisdom, and denomination. The church is given that trust. What a sacred responsibility, he would say. Now, Brother Branham would say, and, and here's, here's our battle many times. When we were in the world, our nature was to do the things of the world. Our, our, it was automatic. We, we just, you know, the devil said, go to that party. We went to that party. Go and drink that. We drank that. We did that because that was the nature that was in us. And yet, maybe there was an inside voice that we fought through, but once we're converted, the devil still comes to us the same way, but now there's a, a battle that's engaged. No, I don't want to go down that road. That's caused me harm. I want to be sanctified. I want to be cleansed. I want to be put in service. You know, God justified us. Why? By one man's death. He justified us, and we accept that Jesus died for us. But that, that justification is, is, is for our benefit. Sanctification is, is so that we can begin to be useful in the kingdom of God. The Holy Ghost is so we can be put into service for Him. So, Brother Adam says, I don't, I, don't try to conform, I don't try to reform a sinner. He's a sinner. He's a pig to begin with. He goes to movies. He goes to ball games. His nature is like a hog, and he'll go into the manure pile and eat all the grains. You can't blame him. He's a hog. That's the way it is with sinners. He says, I don't blame the sinner from sinning. If he goes and drinks beer and smokes cigars and goes to pictures, I don't blame him. That's the only pleasure he's got. But then he says this. Listen to what Brother Anna says. But you people that call yourself Christians and then do those things, he said, that's the guy I'm after. <laughs> that's who we're after this morning. He said, Brother Ed, I didn't expect you to come out with a, 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 you know, a rake and a hoe and, and, and a spear and, a, and everything else. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm just saying the Holy Ghost is here. I need it. 
Oh, every once in a while I like to put on a message like Brother Branham. Uh, some of the messages he spoke were hard messages. If you go and look at them, you know, he would, he would speak on straight is the gate. And he actually says, there'll be a, he says, I doubt there'll be a dozen out of this generation. That's pretty hard. Now, I don't preach it that way because a generation passes every day. So that's, there's, there's, a, there's a balance to that. But then you take a deceived church by the world. And Brother Bam goes right to, he says, Branham Tabernacle, the devil's on you. And he speaks to them. And he says, don't get lazy. Don't get soft. That's why we come to church. We want to be pricked. We want to be ready. We want to be made aware. But Brother Bam says, that's the guy I'm after. The one who, who has been claiming to be a Christian, but still living in the world. He says, I don't blame the sinner. But he says, the one that goes out there, calls himself a Christian, he says, you need a change of heart. You need a change of diet. You said you need to come behind the veil and not know the world anymore. You need to get shut off from the world. We took a lot of time, the last couple services, about 